Do you want to know what it takes to make Newcastle United a successful side? Do you want to learn the secret about what goes on in the boardroom? Do you want to know what it takes to turn Newcastle from a relegation threatened side into one that very nearly won the Premier League title? I think you just might. I'm talking about the entertainers era under Kevin Keegan, that fast-flowing electric football, the one that lasts long in the memory, the side that may well be the reason you are a Newcastle United fan. Well, to look back on that time, I've gone and got the man who bankrolled Kevin Keegan, the man who signed the checks to allow Sir Les Ferdinand, Alan Shearer and countless other superstars to arrive on Tyneside and get within touching distance of the Premier League title. Yes, Sir John Hall. He is a late but very special addition to the Everything is Black and White podcast live taking place on Wednesday, August 30th at the Tyneside Irish Centre. Not long to go till the event and not many tickets remain on sale either, but there are a few that you can get your hands on. I'm going to pop the link into the description, click on that, go through to the website and secure your tickets now. It's going to be a great evening. We're going to talk about the Newcastle United of the current day, the transfer market, the Champions League and Eddie Howe. We've got the times of Henry Winter. We've got BBC Newcastle's Matthew Wiesbeck and, of course, our great panel here from the Chronicle. But Sir John Hall, what a magical name to add to the bill. We cannot wait. We hope to see you there. So click that link, secure your tickets to the Everything is Black and White podcast live. Hello and welcome to the Everything is Black and White podcast. Time for the Monday show on a Tuesday with me, Andrew Musgrove, and our Newcastle United editor, Aaron Stokes. Apologies, we're coming a day later than usual, but we're here and ready to reflect on a divisive weekend gone for Newcastle United. A 1-0 defeat to Manchester City at the Etihad has left the fan base split. A decent scoreline, arguably against the best club in the world, or a poor performance by Newcastle's own standards at a time when City were thought to be at their most vulnerable. Plus, we'll talk about the arrival of Lewis Hall from Chelsea, return of Adidas and we've got two pairs of tickets to give away for our live event a week on Wednesday with Sir John Hall. Remember to hit that subscribe button through whichever platform you join us on, share the podcast to your tuned supporting friends and family and drop us a little line with your thoughts and comments as well. Let's get on with the show. Aaron, we're here on a Tuesday, we've said our apologies. You well? I'm well, yeah, good. Um, if I'm completely honest, I'm glad we're doing this pod on a Tuesday. I'm glad we've been sticking it to the Monday show on a Monday for the last couple of weeks. But I think it's given us a, an extra day to reflect maybe on the defeat. You know, we're not used to Newcastle losing these days. And it gives you also, you know, an extra day to mourn the loss of, of Tyler Adams because he won't be joining Newcastle United. Yeah, I felt this was coming. I had a, a tweet or two as well. Of people expecting you to mention it. I tell you what, though, as a few people said to me on Twitter... Newcastle could have done with someone like him against Manchester City in that number six all right? They could have, maybe, yes. But, yeah, your dream signing is unfortunately gone. I'll tell you what, that is a, that's a great signing for Bournemouth. If he's yeah, come, overcome yeah. his injury, right, £20 million, pounds, a lot cheaper than Casido, who had a shocker, by the way. But that's a great signing for Bournemouth. And, yeah, look, I am genuinely a little bit good. We're going to get on to the number six position, the lack of a defensive midfielder, because I think it showed during the game against City. We'll get on to that later in the show. Um you uh, didn't really have a weekend, though, because you had two days off last week because it was your birthday and you turned the elderly age of... The grand old age of 27. 27. Yeah, make you feel old. It does slightly. <laughs> I, was, I was disappointed, though, 
that I came in and there was no there was no cake. Yeah, no cake. Your mum has let us down. This usually time she's she's on the ball with the cake, but I've I've told her this time I didn't want it coming out in the restaurant. I didn't want it left over, so no cake this time. Unfortunately, thankfully in the in Chronicle Towers we've had a couple of birthdays, so there has been some cake flying around. But yeah, not for my, not for myself. Very very disappointing. As was the game against Manchester City, one nil defeat. As we said there in the intro, it has left people very, very dis- uh, uh, split, really. Uh, personally, I am disappointed because I really thought Newcastle would go and give a much better account of themselves. It, for me, it felt a little bit like Cup Final Day, the Cabo Cup Final, where it was a great opportunity to get a result. And while Newcastle didn't play badly, they didn't play well either. It was just kind of a bit meh. How are you feeling about it? Yeah, I, I thought the game as a whole was quite... Uh, Dull, you know, it wasn't, you know, there wasn't too much action. I thought, as you mentioned, Newcastle United's performance was was quite disappointing, especially in the first half. Um, but look, I, I feel I feel like we're gonna I feel like we're gonna spar in this podcast. I feel like me and you are gonna have some disappointments because I don't think it's too bad of a result. I think you need a bit of perspective. I think you need a bit of context. You know, you mentioned there in your opening opening monologue that you thought it was, you know, City at their potentially one of their weakest moments. But actually, you look at what Pep Guardiola did on Saturday night, started nine of the players that started in the Super Cup, didn't make any substitutions. I think we've just got to remember that City are a different animal. They're probably going to go and win their fourth consecutive Premier League title. And I know you're going to come and tell us, well, this is Newcastle United, we need to be going and, and battling against these teams. But... I think they just went at the races, and 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 we'll dive into that. Yeah, well, I get the theory from some. You know, it is Man City; it's the best club in the world, and teams who are better than Newcastle have gone there and had their breakfast handed to them. You know, they've been absolutely thumped, and you could tell by the celebrations as well. I thought at the end of the game just how much that result meant to Manchester City. It was like they'd actually won a cup. But I'm just wondering, is it not slightly defeatist attitude to be sitting here and? You know, saying, look, it's it's not a bad, it's not a bad result. You've been beaten by the best team in the world, only one 0 Look what happened to Arsenal. Look what happened to Real Madrid. For me, I'm not sure that's good enough. Like, this is as you said, this is Newcastle. And this is Eddie Howe's Newcastle, and I've got no doubt he set them up as well as he could do. They had instructions, but for me, sitting here reading some of the comments on social media, listening to what you've just said, I think it's the fierce attitude. If if a certain manager. It said something similar and gone. Oh well, we've only got we've only got been beaten one 0 Oh well, you know it's the best side in the world. There would have been absolutely hell on, and I just think missed opportunity, and I, I just just disappointed. It at the performance. Yes, the results good, but if you get down at the performance, which you will do, it just wasn't good enough. Yeah, it wasn't. And look, I'm not sitting here and saying that. It's not a bad result. It is. They've lost the game. Eddie Howe, if he's taught us anything, is that he does not want to lose or draw any football games. He'll be absolutely devastated. But you just mentioned it there without naming who it was. If that had been a fellow manager, they would have been stuffed 6-7-1 or against Manchester City that he had. The performance itself, I don't think, was very good. I thought Newcastle were just you know toothless in attack. They looked like they'd lost all their confidence that they should have really gained from that Aston Villa win. Um Credit to them in the second half for maybe coming out and having a little bit more of a go. They kept themselves in it, although I, I do think Manchester City probably didn't get out of first gear because of you know Newcastle weren't really threatening them. Um, but look, I think I think you summed it up well at the start. I think the opinion split. I think I've seen a lot of people saying, "Well, oh my God, it's you know it's, it's an absolute joke." 
how bad they played. And I think a lot of people have, have been sort of more in my camp where it's, okay, we've got to remember that, who they're playing. And, and no, see, I just, I just can't subscribe to that way of thinking. But I'm, I'm not, I'm, it'd be different if I, if I was sat here last Friday saying to you, you've got to remember who they're playing, you know, let's go in there. And if, so, they, so get, and if they get beat... But why is it all right? Not why is it all right to say it now after the, the result? I mean, it, it's pretty much just the same impact, isn't it? It's not because it's not like I was writing the game off before it happened and saying, "Oh well, it's City. Let's just write it off." But I think I I feel like the response to the defeat. By the way, Newcastle United are gonna lose football games, right? They're gonna lose matches, and I feel like every time they lose a game now, when we had Eddie Howe, it's the end of the world to some fans. And it shouldn't be. They're playing the best team in the world and they lost 1-0 at the Etihad. That's not me being a fetish. That's me being a realist. I think, I'm not going to sit here and say it was a good result. It wasn't. But I don't think it's the end of the world like a lot of fans on social media were making out Saturday and Sunday night. There's people talking about Joel and, and, and Miggy and Bruno being dropped for next week. And we'll, we'll talk about that later. But we're two games into the season. They've just won 5-1 at home against a really good up-and-coming team. And they've, sort of nearly tried to match the best team in the world away from home, I think the response from some was over the top, is what I'm trying to get across. I think in defence of, of those people, I think it's, it's, it's frustration more than anything that you go to City and you lose. Look, people are saying it's a, it's a thing of beauty, the Alvarez goal. It, it was a good shot, but there's not a chance that... There's no way in hell that he should be given this much space and time. I mean, look, I've put the, the screenshot on on the screen here. Look at him. Look at the space he's got. He could board the number ten from Eldon Square to Hexham and come back in the time it would take someone to get out of him. How has he been afforded that much time? Very similar to the the goal Martin Odegaard scored uh, for Arsenal St James's Park, where the player has just been given too much time on the ball to pick his spot. You give a player that that much space, he's going to pop it in the back of the net. It's a fantastic goal, but for me, I think Eddie Howe he'll have a screenshot of this and he'll be putting it up on the wall and saying, we can't allow... I mean, look how many players are around him there. Four players. It's, that, that, for me, is such a frustrating goal to concede when you're playing the best in the world. Don't give them that opportunity because yeah, they'll take it. Absolutely, I agree with you. And I think, I think it summed up Newcastle's start of the game where it was slow, they couldn't get a hold of City. They, I mean, they struggled for 90 minutes to get a hold of Phil Foden, who, by the way, was absolutely out of this world, I thought, on Saturday. Um, yeah, I, I agree, and I think credit to Newcastle for for actually, you know, they fixed up the defence second half. I thought Haaland didn't have a sniff. I thought they were they were a little bit better going forward second half. But yeah, just a just a bad day at the office. Oh, don't see, see you're subscribing to. I just think that's a very defeatist. I, you're they are going to lose games, but I think do you not run the risk of writing the performance off on 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 Saturday by by following that kind of theory. It's a bad day at the office. Let's forget about it. Yeah, but because was it? Because for me, there was there was there was elements of that game that were, were quite concerning enough that you have to analyse it a little bit deeper rather than just saying it's Manchester City, the greatest club in the world, and it's a bad day at the office. Yeah, of course, of course, there is. We've just highlighted that goal, which was very poor defending. There was other times where they where they let City go in the first couple of minutes. We can then talk about the second half and about how. They had a really, really good chance to capitalise on that City mistake and they didn't take it. We can talk about how Miggy was, you know, 2-1 dimensional. We can talk about all these things, but I'm just trying to hammer home the point that 
Newcastle are now victims of their own success because you made a point before we came on air which made me then go and write a lot of stuff down. You said something along the lines of how many times are we going to use this excuse when they get beat? And I'll tell you, last season, they got beat off City 2-0 and beat off Arsenal 2-0. They then drew with Arsenal and drew with City. They beat Spurs home and away. They beat Chelsea and drew with Chelsea. They drew with Man United. They beat Man United. They drew with Brighton. They beat Brighton. They lost to Liverpool 2-1 in the very last minute and they lost to Liverpool, the reverse fixture, when Pope got sent off. Newcastle are victims of their own success because they don't get beat anymore. And when they do, it's like, well, you know, how many times are we going to say this? They're going to get beat. They got beat off Aston Villa in April. They got beat off City yesterday. They got beat off Arsenal in May. Other than that, they're ahead of schedule. I mean, they are ahead of schedule, and don't get me wrong. It's great to be in the position and watching Newcastle battle right at the top of the Premier League, but I was just bitterly disappointed with 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 Saturday entries because I felt Newcastle would go there and give City a really good game of it. And for me, for me, for me, it looked like Newcastle lacked belief in themselves at times, yeah. like in the heads that said to themselves, "If we go forward, City will come back and attack, and, and, and we'll lose." So instead of bar a few moments it was more contained and wait for someone to step up and, and no one did and I'm just wondering do Newcastle lack a little bit of experience mm-hmm. now Kieran Treppi aside you do not have an experienced player who has done it at the very top level so I'm looking at Brighton and I'm looking at, at James Milner I'm looking at Danny Welbeck I'm looking at Adam Lorna you've got three players there who have battled for Premier League titles being in cup finals, I mean, James Milner is an absolutely shrewd signing by Brighton. Mm-hmm. And I just think in these situations, in these scenarios, is there too much on, on Kieran Trippier's shoulders in what is otherwise quite a, a young team? And not only that, but a team that hasn't played, like I said, in these cup finals or challenged at the, at the right end of the league on a consistent basis. And, you know, do Newcastle need to try and add, you know, like a James Milner kind of S kind of character to the ranks? Yeah, look, I think it's a it's a conversation that we had in depth after the cup final where you saw the sort of stark contrast between Manchester United's leaders and who Newcastle had. I think, yes, we're praising the work Newcastle have done in the transfer window this summer. They've done very good business, have made some shrewd signings, but when you look at who they've signed, Lewis Hall, 18, Tino Livermento, 20, Harvey Barnes, yes, he's 25, but yes, he hasn't been there and done it. And Sandro Tonali, yes, you can say he's only 23, but he's been in finals and he's been Champions League semi-finals and whatnot. You're looking around that team though, it's a very young core. Isaac, Botman, even Bruno. Very few players that, as you say, have been there and done it cup finals. And I think on Saturday there was just a little bit of that, well, Newcastle didn't look confident. I mean, times in the second half, on another day they would have buried those chances. And for whatever reason, you know, Maybe it's just the... I mean, I, I, can't, I can't speak too much for the players because I don't know what it's like to go up against Man City. It must be a little bit daunting going to the three times back-to-back Champions, uh, Premier League winners in their own backyard. But it, it shouldn't be like that. I, th- I thought they were poor going forward on Saturday when usually under Eddie Howe there. You know, they're the exact opposite of that. Mm, and I, I think if you, if you have that feeling, someone here has said, uh, Brian Hall has said, they looked beaten before the game even started or yeah. talk about the best team on the planet beat them. And it's a really interesting point and that subscribes to what we're, we're kind of saying here because they did. They looked nervous really of their own shadow. They looked nervous about trying to poke the bear for, for you know, what's going to happen if we do. Mm-hmm. And 
I think they play that plays into City's hands, you know. And I, I saw a few people asking, did they show them a bit too much respect? I don't necessarily think they did. I just think they lack confidence in themselves, and that's something that anyhow is going to have to work on against these top sides because if they get drawn against a Real Madrid or a Barcelona in the Champions League, and you go out with that same kind of oh, I'm not too sure if we can if we can go forward. You should have confidence in, in, in yourself. You should have confidence that when those chances come, as they did in the second half against City, you've got to take them. Take them. Because if you're confident in yourself, then that's half the battle. But if if you're not, you are kind of handing it to the opposition. Yeah, absolutely. I think I think on the on the question of did they pay them too much respect? Yes, maybe. But at the same time, I think Eddie Howe went out there trying to implement pretty much close to what his usual game plan is. There wasn't this, you know, 10-man behind the ball and let's just try and cling on. There was actually a, a genuine sense that when Newcastle got the ball, they were trying to do things with it. But I think individual performance really played, you know, havoc with that. Didn't think Joel Linton played well. He couldn't keep the ball. Bruno, another one, Miggy. Um, but then in the second half, how makes changes early on, tries to change it. I think, I, I don't really have too much, you know, blame to put on how after the result I just think I think the players just for whatever reason they look daunted yeah and and that's where that experience comes in isn't it because I don't for a moment think Brighton will go to to the Etihad and and feel daunted or or shy of confidence and then you you think oh well Newcastle a worse side than Brighton arguably not what's the difference they've got players who have not only been in those top games and had confidence they've won those top games Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Um, let's dive into the comments and we've got plenty of people joining us live on YouTube. Give the video a thumbs up and give the channel um, a subscribe. Thank you very much for joining us. It, we said at the start, look, the opinion is split. We've got Barry here saying, Man City, second game of the year, chill out. Uh, which is what a few people are kind of um, talking about in the comments. That <laughs> This is Man City, Champions League winners, Premier League winners. What more do you expect? But then... That goes back to my point. I'm kind of like, well, that's that, that's not good enough. But uh, yeah, keep your comments uh, coming in. I said last season, the win over Manchester United and the win against Brighton and St James's Park, they were the two near perfect tactical setups by Eddie Howe. If those two games were that, then Saturday was an absolute another level by Pep Guardiola because right from the word go, he set his team up so perfectly that nullified Newcastle's threat within the first few moments. You know, they closed the press or passed the way out of the press really easily, which is obviously Newcastle's biggest threat. But then you had two of their moments uh, or two of their examples where you, you just see the genius of Pep Guardiola and why he's the best manager in the world. You had Kanji stepping out in, into uh, midfield with Rodri and that packed the centre of the park, leaving Newcastle unable to attack as they please, but also having to cope with uh, three instead of two in the, in the middle of the park. And the other one was how they made the most of Anthony Gordon going forward. And that left Dan Byrne exposed. You know, uh, Kyle Walker jumped on every time Gordon went forward in attacking position, which is his natural instinct. Kyle Walker stepped out. 
if Newcastle lost the ball, Gordon had a chase, and it, it did leave Dan Byrne exp- exposed. And with Kanji in the middle, Byrne was kind of pulled each way and every way, and there was a lot of space for Man City to work. It really was just, it was just brilliant by Pep. Yeah, it was. And I think, you know, the bit that I found funny was that, you know, he spent all last week, Pep, moaning about how, you know, his team had to go to Athens on Wednesday and play in the Super Cup and then the Premier League had to make him play on Saturday and then he goes and starts nine of the players that he started in Athens and then he goes and, and doesn't even make any changes against Newcastle during the game. Um, look, I think I think it just proves again that City are just on another level. You look at the players that they are on the bench that didn't even get on. It's just a reminder of how far I think Newcastle need to go until they're you know, consistently up there with the big boys because I think it's just night and day between their squads Pep you know I mean I don't think anyone bets against them winning the league this year I just don't think Arsenal will, will get close to them um, and yeah and but it was good to see as you mentioned Pep clearly showed Newcastle respect he spoke up you know a lot about them before pre-match you could tell after the game that they were not relieved but they you know they knew they'd been in a, in a tough match I think Foden even talked about it after the game as well Newcastle are getting there, you know, they will in the next couple of years beat City, I've got no doubt of it. They will, you know, start to, to get up there with them, but I just think not yet. I mean, the frustrating thing from a Newcastle point of view, I think Kanji stepping forward was not something new. If you'd listened to the match, uh, the View from the Opposition episode of the Other Things Back My Podcast, which came out on, on Friday... Joe Bray from the Manchester Evening News, the Manchester City reporter, told us about it. He said that is what City were likely to do. So if he knew it was going to happen, how how didn't Newcastle cope with it? Because like, it wasn't a surprise, but it worked so well. And I wonder if it just exposes the real lack of an out-and-out defensive midfielder in that side. Now, anyhow, we know it doesn't like to pigeonhole players into certain positions. But I did feel, and again, it's against Manchester City, the best team in the world, blah, blah, blah. The lack of a true defensive midfielder, someone who sits in that hole and just kind of breaks up the play and sticks the boot in and doesn't really do much else other than it's just an absolute unit. It, it, it rang true there again. And we know Newcastle's budget is limited. We know they're unlikely to go back into the market for a defensive midfielder. But I can't help but think they really do need it. Yeah, I think I think I agree with you on that. Um, I think ultimately the the first half performance was similar to a lot of the performances that Newcastle had at the back end of last season, where they started really slowly, and even though they were winning games, they were having to come from behind and they were having to, you know, sort of revive it in the second half. Where I thought they actually they started really bad on Saturday against City. Trippy, I mentioned after the game, they could not deal with Ford and coming inside. They didn't know who was marking them. Boom was getting pulled all over. Um, yeah, I, I think, as I said, I think it just it just shows the golf. Would you be disappointed if Newcastle didn't bounce back into the market and, and, and go in for a defensive midfield? I mean, there's been talk of Calvin Phillips on, on loan. Obviously, Ty Adams was mentioned, but he's off to, he's signed for Bournemouth now. Because we, we, we spoke about it before the Villa game and... And I'd always said a defensive midfielder for me was really important. And then we had the Villa game and we were guilty, as were many Newcastle United podcasters and fans of talking this midfield that would have been the best in the world after one game against Villa. But it's funny, everything that I was worried about pre-Villa, about the gaps and the space, actually came true against Manchester City. 
And I think actually Sean Longstaff is, is in within a real shout of starting against Liverpool because I think Liverpool could could do exactly what Manchester City did in terms of just exploiting the space between the defence and the midfield and just overrunning Bruno. I mean, Joe Linton could be out injured by the looks of it. It's gnarly. I think you need someone who just sits there and just breaks up the play. On your first question, would I be would I be disappointed if they didn't go back at the market? I, I don't know because... Do you not think it's crucial they go and get that defensive midfielder? No, I, if I'm honest, I, I, I don't. I think you look at that midfield and when everyone's fit and firing, I don't I don't think they need another another player there. And also, the, there's some very telling quotes from Lewis Hall on uh, when he was at Chelsea where actually he played quite a lot of his games in the academy in midfield as an eight. So even though they've went out and signed a left-back this morning, I think that's another option for them in midfield. I, Bruno and Joe Linton didn't play well on, on Saturday. Tonali's still learning. You've got Anderson, Longstaff, Willick there. I don't think that I don't think they do. You notice when Joe Linton doesn't play well, just how uh, yeah. important he is. Bruno again. I mean, he's, I've seen some criticism, um, and people know I've I've questioned him over the last couple of games. But actually, if you look at the stats, you know he didn't he didn't do any worse than anybody else. He was actually quite uh, clinical with his passing, even though Newcastle looked quite careless in possession. So. We're not going to, you know, help, but we just we just need to see the players raise their game slightly. But you mentioned there, you know, the likes of Tenali, Bruno, Willick. I feel like they're all kind of players who have got an attacking sense. Whereas Sean Longstaff's kind of the only one now. Joe Linton, on his day, is fantastic. He's an absolute midfield force, but he's very up and down the pitch. And at the moment, I mean, Bruno is kind of the one that sits there, doesn't he? Mm-hmm. But I wonder if he's been impacted by the fact that's his responsibility. So in his head, he's thinking, well, I really want to go forward, but I also have, I'm kind of aware I'm the man who's going to have to kind of get back if they hit that kind. I know the players cover each other, but I just think they lack a real strong, top quality number six who can just just break up the play. It, 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 and I've said it before, that Czech Teori type who's just at the ankles will go under the radar, won't get the headlines, will do the dirty work. It's just strong and to the point. Yeah, look, I think I think if you go back a couple of months there was, you know, so much clamour for a number a number six to come in, someone to sort of free Bruno and then Tonali came in and actually it, it, people realised pretty quickly that it was gonna have to be Bruno sitting there. Whether it's his his best position, I think we can argue till the cows come home. I think what we can probably all agree on is that he hasn't been himself recently he doesn't look like he's the player he was last season is that because of where he's playing is that because he's had a very hard season he's then went away with Brazil and he's he's just trying to sort of refine his fitness I, I don't know for me I think the business they've done is good I don't think they need a six right now I think if they're going to go out and maybe spend for one more I think I'd like to see a bit more cover brought in um, at centre-back but I think it's just maybe dealing with a couple of players just trying to get up the, to full speed now the season started. Mm. Well, I, w- I would be disappointed if they didn't get it. I don't think they will, but I think they need it. And I think getting it in now, because I think what will happen is that in January they might go out and get, get that, fill that position. And I get what you're saying about options, but just watching pre-season and even to the Villa point the game to a, to a certain degree, there was still a lot of space. And Mighty Wins quite rightly pointed out that we said last last kind of 
last weekend or last Monday that the midfield was fantastic. And it was, it was. And maybe we should apologise for getting ahead of ourselves uh, and talking up such a, a brilliant display. And maybe that's a sign that actually you can't get too up about results and you can't get too down about results. But my opinion on a defensive midfielder hasn't, I don't think, really changed at all. Um, would it be Calvin Phillips? No, not for me. Too many question marks. Yeah, not for me. I think, but that would be where they would go. They would probably go in the lower market if indeed they did go back in. Who it would be, I'm not uh, too sure. Um, yeah, I mean, the other thing, as we mentioned there, was United looked quite careless in possession. And we said in the build-up that they have to keep it tight uh, and have to avoid giving the ball away. And I think Newcastle are sometimes their own worst enemy. And if you're careless in possession against the top sides, they're going to they're going to punish you. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I think, you know, that's never more evident than when you play Manchester City, I think. Um, yeah, they were punished on Saturday. They were punished in the first half for not being clever enough on the ball and not keeping it well. And they were punished second half by, you know, really looking so toothless in attack. I mean, still got nightmares over that three-on-one chance at the end when Guardiola, to be fair, does very, very well to stop the counter. But, yeah, I, th- I think... How looking back at the and analysing the matches straight away as he does, you know, will find lots of lots of room for improvement in it. The mighty win says seven yellows prevented us from playing our ferocious high press. Bruno was at fault for being too far away from his man at the start of the move. Barry says he likes long staff, but he was ordinary when he came on. And the mighty win adds, now it's not the time to panic. We're fine and lost one nil away to the best team in the world at the top of their game. Again, a lot of people have uh, said similar. John here saying, don't think we should judge things on what was probably on paper our most difficult game in the season. Remember, we're not supposed to be competing for the title just yet. Derek says, uh, City were given far too much space. Shall we hear from Eddie Howe then? Um, this is what he had to say after the game against Manchester City. Yeah, I mean, I, I obviously haven't looked at it from their perspective. I only look at it from ours. Um you know that they'll have their own view. I, I can only see it from my perspective, and that's one that I, I know we can perform better. So I'm I'm disappointed. Um, and the challenge for us is when you play these teams, is you have to be at your very best. You have to have learnt that over the years to to get anything from the match. And uh, just one shot on target is that a disappointment? Yeah, of course. Yeah, it is because I think we had our moments. There was our opportunities. We had a two v one in the game with half a pitch, which. It's a key moment in the game that we had a number of crossing opportunities that we didn't quite get right. Um, I, th- I thought the opportunities were there for us. It wasn't as if they didn't exist, but we, we just, yeah. It's sort of in keeping really with how I felt we were technically today. We just weren't at our best. Now he says that we just weren't at our best and that's the, what I'm going to focus on first is that after a week's preparation where I've got no doubt Eddie Howe worked them hard on the training ground and gave them all the instructions uh, that he wanted them to do, and like I said, I, like you said, I got no qualms with Eddie Howe whatsoever because I fully believe he would have set them up as well as he could have done. But after such preparation, after a week, after a week, and where so you've had to travel and you know play in the Super Cup, how are Newcastle United not at their best? Is it simply down to the opposition they're playing, or is that too easy of an answer? No, I think that's too easy. I think I think it's certainly. Negates that. I think it goes back to what we spoke about earlier about the confidence, and for whatever reason, they did Newcastle players just feel like they weren't equal to Manchester City, and for that reason, they, they I, I don't know. There's a whole a whole range of reasons. I think I also 
you know, and it's something I mentioned earlier, I think Newcastle are victims of their own success. And I think this is where the fan reaction comes into it because I spoke to a lot of Newcastle fans last week after the 5-1 win at Villa and I didn't hear any of them say they thought Newcastle were going to get beat against Manchester City. Every single person I spoke to was like, you know what, I'm just... Um, I've just got a feeling we're going to get something. Oh, you know what? I think we can go there and win because of how strong the Villa match was. I don't know. I think I think there was just a number of reasons it didn't it didn't fall right on the night. And on another night, it might have if that if that counter attack goes in and they're back in the game at one one with twenty to play and they've made subs maybe. But as I said, I think City still had another gear to find even mm. at that point. I mean, I was in that group. I felt they were going to get something. I predicted a, a two one win. I think, as I said earlier in the show, for me, it's just the fact that you lose without really breaking into into the gear. We know you've got to go. I mean, one shot on target, two shots off target. It, I, again, I know it's the best team in the world, but it's just it's just disappointing that you, you go and you don't really. I don't think you really. I don't think Newcastle really pushed them all that much. No, I know people will argue, and Pep's obviously come out and said, if you know Newcastle a great side, etc. And you saw this habit, but to come away and you, you, you scratch your head, and I think if if Eddie Howe asked his team and and said, did you give everything you possibly could? You know, are you coming away knowing that you did everything you possibly could? I'm not sure they could honestly in the heart heart say yes. They put all their effort in. They put every, you know they didn't leave anything in in the locker, but in terms of really pushing Manchester City on, on the night, did they really do enough? No, and I don't think they did. Of course they didn't. And I think what makes it so frustrating is we saw how easily they took Villa apart last week at, at St James's Park. We saw last season how they stuck at a City at St James's Park in that 3-3 draw. We saw how they went to Arsenal and they went to Manchester United and really give them a game. For whatever reason, they just didn't seem to be that same mentality on Saturday where they go there thinking that they're equal and, and I don't know why but how will want that rectified for Liverpool Sunday and you, and you are spot on about Newcastle being victims of their own success because we are sitting here frustrated with it because of what we've come to expect of Newcastle and Eddie Howe will be as well and like you say he will want to rectify that in the days to come uh, before we get into some positives from the Manchester City game because there were some or one um, at least We'll get onto the competition. So our live event takes place on Wednesday the 30th at the Tyneside Irish Centre. Sir John Hall will join us for the first half of the show. Then we have the Times Henry Winter, BBC Virgin Newcastle's Matthew Raisbet alongside a Newcastle United panel, including Aaron Stokes here. Now, to be within a chance of winning a pair of tickets for the evening, all you have to do is share this episode on social media. So whether you are watching on YouTube, whether you're listening on the podcast, uh, share it, please, on either Facebook or Twitter. If you're on Twitter, include uh, the NUF, uh, Chronicle NUFC uh, handle in it, and we will find it, and we'll pick a winner at random on Thursday before the match preview comes out. So just share either this episode from YouTube or the podcast on Twitter and Facebook, and we'll find you guys, and we'll pick a winner at random and let you guys know that you've won and come along to the show. There's a handful of tickets remaining if you want to come along yourselves. £10 in, uh, donation made to the Food Bank and to the Super Robson Foundation. It's going to be a fantastic night. Talk about all things Newcastle United. The start of the Premier League season, the trance window, Champions League draw takes place the day after, so we'll talk about that. And, of course, just the secrets of owning Newcastle United and turning them into a successful club. Because if one man knows what Amanda Stavely and co are going through, 
it's Sir John Hall. Are you excited? Yeah, really, really excited. Glad that we've got a, a top billing as well with Sir John coming. Um, and yeah, these nights were always fantastic talking to fans. So yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to it. So we hope to see you there. Uh, the positive then. Some people might argue there was more than one, but I'm going to focus on the big one. Sven Botman. Ladies and gents, he's just bloody good, isn't he? Yeah, very, very good. I mean, he got home, he emptied his wallet, took out his keys, and he just had Erland Holland in his back pocket as well. I thought he kept him quiet all night. I thought him and Cher as well. I feel like I've seen a lot of praise for Sven Botman in the last couple of days, rightly so, but for me, Fabian Cher was equally as good. I thought they were really good, and I know we... Um, we put a little tweet out yesterday on Chronicle Live about is this are they the best defensive partnership Newcastle have had in the Premier League? You're struggling to think of, of many that have matched them, I think. Interesting. Interesting. I mean, Botman has just got so many more levels to go. He's yeah. going to be absolutely world class. And to keep a man like Harlan quiet as he did, you could see Harlan was frustrated as well. He's done it. He's done it before as well. He just looks. Looks a bargain the the price they got him for as well. He does, yeah. It feels like when he when he first joined and he and he first started playing twelve months ago, everybody saw straight away how good he was. And then it feels like the last couple of months of the season he sort of maybe slipped under the radar again. And now that performance Saturday has put him right back in the eye line. I think of, of quite a lot of people. Yeah, absolutely brilliant. And hopefully more to come from Sven Botman. Right, some transfer news. The world's worst kept secret has finally been confirmed. Lewis Hall arrives on loan from Chelsea with an obligation to make a permanent next summer if certain criteria is met. Lewis Hall has told the club website, I'm very proud, me and my family are Newcastle fans. And for me and my brother growing up, it was drilled into us that we were Newcastle. It's a big club and I can't wait to get started. I got a lot of experience last year and some big fixtures. And I was really proud of the way I progressed as a player and as a person to now be here. At Newcastle, the club that I've supported since I was a kid, I'm honoured and very proud to wear this shirt. It's very exciting when you look back on last season and the way the team performed, not just the results, but the performance the team put in. It was amazing. So many talented players and we've got Champions League now as well. There's so many different competitions that I know the team will be wanting to do well in and hopefully to get a trophy or two as well. Speaks very well for a young man. A lot of money potentially next summer. Let's start first off with the loan deal mm-hmm. very clever very yeah. clever yeah look Eddie Howe spoke two weeks ago about needing to be creative and they needed to you know maybe have a look at the way they were doing deals and I think that was him hinting that they were going to have to dip it in that loan market which isn't something Dan Ashworth usually does especially he didn't do that at Brighton very often but as you say very clever moves the fee on to next summer um, very interesting this morning that Newcastle said it was an obligation to buy whereas Chelsea in their statement maybe trying to you know, not get fans on their back, said it was an option to buy at the end of the uh, deal. You know, we understand that it is an obligation that he will become a Newcastle United player permanently next summer. Very exciting deal. Now, I want to sort of caveat that by saying he's only paid 658 minutes of Premier League football. He's only, um, you know, played nine or so games in the Premier League. But from what we've seen of him, very, very good. Every coach at Chelsea speaks highly of him. Graham Potter gave him a chance. Lampard gave him a chance. Um, if he keeps progressing the way, and I think we said this recently, if he keeps progressing the way he has done so far, really, really shrewd signing. And he says, I know a lot of Chelsea fans are good and cross that we've got him. They don't understand how it has happened. Uh, Brian asks, where does this leave Matt Target? He's now a third choice to a centre-back and 18-year-old. Do you think he'll be sold? 
Um, potentially, I'm a lot more a lot more inclined to think he'd be sold than I was two months ago. I think I think it does make a very good point. But at the same time, you know how wants a, a very deep squad and and he, he's been reluctant to sell this summer, hasn't he? So uh, I'm I'm not too sure. Talk about the personnel and of or the, the personality of of Lewis Hall, as yeah. you said, people you speak to praise his professionalism. He's impressed in the, the brief moments he's had of competitive football. He's up for the challenge. He's just got to kind of because he's living the dream, isn't he? I mean, he's signed for Newcastle United as an eighteen-year-old. I mean, that will do things to your head, you know, especially as a Newcastle United fan. So there's that to deal with. But as we say, the people you speak to, he's got his head screwed on. He's very mature. And obviously, the money they're going to end up paying for him could be what twenty-eight million, thirty million. So that's a lot of money to to splash out on on, on an eighteen-year-old. So they must have seen something they really like. Absolutely, yeah. I think I think ultimately he offers a lot, both defensively and going forward, which is what Eddie Howe definitely wanted. Given, you know, we can all praise Dan Byrne as much as we want, but ultimately going forward isn't a strong suit. As you mentioned, I think he spoke very, very well for an eighteen-year-old in that first interview, and there was a. Um, a, a, a section of the quotes that I just wanted to read out that I thought were really interesting. He goes, as a young player, you all you want to be doing is playing games, learn from the best. Being young, you know you're not going to be involved in every single game as it's a lot to ask for. But whenever you're called upon, you know you're going to give your best. And there's people who are a lot more experienced and have played a lot more senior football than me and that people I can learn from. And I think that's really crucial, isn't it? Because I think ultimately it will still be Dan Byrne, left back week in, week out. I think uh, Lewis Hall is going to offer him a lot of good competition. He'll get some, you know, minutes in the cup and stuff. But it's good to see he's coming in with that type of attitude. I think. Indeed, indeed, and, and like I say, we've mentioned there the loan to a permanent transfer. If, if Newcastle could work their magic on, say, Cole Palmer next in the same kind of deal, it would be it would be great, wouldn't it? Yeah, definitely, absolutely. Uh, interesting. Uh, some things that Eddie Howe said on on this deal. So, I'm delighted to welcome Lewis to Newcastle United. He's a player we've tracked closely as have a number of clubs, so it's very pleasing to secure him and add a player of his quality, versatility and high potential to our squad. So we'll start there, because actually it's a very short statement from Eddie Howe, but there's a few things I want to pick up on. Firstly, as have a number of clubs. Quite interesting there, he's kind of gone, yeah, we, we, we've got a man that mm-hmm. a lot of people wanted. Yeah, very, very telling. And I think, if I'm honest, as, as we've said, based on what Hall's done in his very short stint at Chelsea, I, I'm not surprised. And then he's mentioned versatility, which we know Eddie likes. He likes yeah. a good versatile player, doesn't he? He does. And I think it, it, it's crucial that has how maybe picked up on those those quotes of, of Hall as a young lad in the academy where he said, actually, my favourite position's in midfield. is another option in the middle as well as at left-back. Um, it also pushes Dan Byrne, you know, potentially right back into that centre-back mould when needed. It, it's a good signing for a number of reasons. And then the most interesting part, I felt, of Eddie Howe's statement on the whole signing was, I'd like to thank everyone involved for the tireless work to bring in the players we have. A lot of time, effort and resource goes into a transfer window, but we have a real togetherness at the levels here, and I appreciate the teamwork and support. He's just closed the door on the transfer window, hasn't he? Well, I, I see that in two or three different ways. One, I see Eddie Howe being Eddie Howe as always, very diplomatic. polite, very diplomatic, very polite thanking not just himself but everyone that he works with because without them it wouldn't be possible the success of having and also maybe is he closing the door slightly and saying thank you very much for the summer of transfers that you've delivered but we won't be signing anymore now he did say last week that Lewis Hall would be the last bit of business 
But that sometimes leads me to think that they're going to go out and do one more, given that Eddie Howe likes to throw people off the scent. Do you think they've got enough now? I know we've just spoke at length about defence midfield. If this is it for the window and there's no more outgoings, or even if there's a few more outgoings, do they have enough or do you want more? No, I, I, look, look, if the window closes now, then I think it's been it's been a very good window. But I do worry about the impact of the Champions League. And we know that Eddie Howe is going to want to go all guns on all competitions. And that includes trying to keep Newcastle in the top four. I'm not going to mention the other position, which I think they still need to strengthen. Oh, I know, no, I'm not, I'm not. But you, but you answered, you asked the question, so yeah. I had to reference it. For me, I know a lot of people would like it, another centre back to come in, yeah. and I think that would 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 add nicely to it. And I know a lot of people actually, because Miguel Amiron has had so much criticism since the City game, which I think has been highly unfair. Yeah. And a lot of people would like to see another right winger come in, which I wouldn't be. Nah. against because I think again it, the competition's really good but is it a priority for me look if the window closes now it's a, it's a very good window they've got enough to get by have they got enough to get on I'm not oh, I don't I, you know what I mean I'm not too sure I think you will with the games and the level that he have pushes the squad I think you will start to see things you know injuries tiredness start to impact them by the time you get to Christmas. But the argument would be, is one player going to make a difference there? Arguably not. But for me, yeah, I think a right centre-back and a defensive midfielder would just take their window to a, to a, to another level, as would add in a bit of experience. But look, we can't have it all. Yeah, I think I agree with you on most of that. You know my thoughts on a third striker. Thank you for not mentioning it. Um, midfield, I think they're well enough staffed. I think in an ideal world, maybe you would have gone out and signed an out and out six rather than an eight like Tenali, but I don't think you can grumble with signing a player of that quality. For me, if there was just one more position and there was one more through the door, I would just like maybe a little bit more cover at centre-back because I think Fabian Scher is due a spell on the sidelines given how he's always threatens to come off. And but I just think... It's interesting because we talk about this right-sided centre-back that they, that they would like that, many people would like them to bring in. But we talk about being a young defender and young defender. And yet we're talking about them lacking experience. So I'm just wondering, would it, would it not suit Newcastle United to, to maybe look at going and getting someone who's around, you know, Fabian Chair's age, who's not going to be here for the, for the longevity, but can come in, still do a job and just add that little bit of experience? Because we hailed Paul Dummett signing a new contract. We hailed Matt Ritchie staying on for the experience that they can lend to the dressing room. And I 100% stand by those comments. But when it comes to Champions League nights, when it comes to facing the very best and you're just needing someone who can just guide them younger players through, have they got that? Can Newcastle go out and find someone who can just come in and a bit like Lewis Hawes mentioned there, no, they're not going to play every game, but when they're called upon, can do a job. And Also, we're talking about Sven Botman being brilliant, but how would you get him to the next level? Is he going to get the next level playing, again, playing alongside Fabian Chair or is he going to get the next level being the elder statesman of a new centre-back pairing, or is he going to progress by having a very decent older centre-back player beside him? Yeah, it's an interesting one, isn't it? I don't necessarily think that that you know the player that comes in at rival share needs to be young. I think you know you saw the links to Wacky Manson from Crystal Palace earlier in the summer. I think that would have been a really smart move. He's 26, 27. He He's not, you know, he, I don't think he would have walked into the Newcastle team, but he certainly would have given Sharon Botman a little bit of a headache. I think he would have offered experience, good on the ball, 
someone like that, I think, would have been perfect. Um, but look, if, if do you, it, do you it, think Newcastle have enough? Um, look, I think I think they're well stocked up front. I think they've got enough in attack. I think their midfields, I've mentioned, barring any major injuries, I think they'll be okay. It's just at the back. I th- I'm glad they've signed Hall. I think I'm glad they needed another left back. But I just think if Shearer or Botman goes down and you're then looking at Lascelles, Bird, and Alex Murphy battling it out for that other spot, I'm, I just think maybe one more. Mark says, I'm still thinking another goal scorer as Wilson tends to get an injury at some point. I'm back of the net, see? Mark knows what he's talking about, right? He'll pay you that fiver later that, he's, uh, <laughs> that you've asked for. Um, Richard saying Anderson should start on Sunday. Well, I, I want I want to talk about this actually. I want to talk about this because I've seen a lot on social media the last couple of days. Who starts Sunday? What's your What is your team for Liverpool? How many changes do you make after City? Sean Longstaff for me starts. Over. Now this is the million dollar question. I mean, if if Joe Linton is injured, then it's not. What, a, what, what if he's fit? It's all right. If everyone's fit. Oh, do you know, I was thinking about this before I came in, right, into the studio, and I was thinking that I was going to say, oh, I'm going to get to ask you pellets for this. But in my head, I was like, could Bruno drop out? Could Bruno be the one to drop out? And then Joe Linton, Tenali and Longstaff start against Liverpool. I, I, for me, I think I think Longstaff has to start. I do think, like, and it is a difficult question then to who... Who you start and the people in the comments have mentioned what has happened on, on Twitter um, yeah. in the last few hours. Bruno Gomes has reacted to a fan account who asked whether it was time to start criticising players uh, individually. Bruno did not uh, react very well to that tweet. It wasn't singling him out, but he's reacted. He's now deleted the tweet. Kind of just reminded the the account of where Newcastle United have come from. An interesting we had that. Yeah, um, but I just wonder. I, I, is it to me that, that that doesn't look good? And I can see why he's now deleted the tweet. Does it suggest that he's is his head in the right kind of? Is he in the right frame of mind? I don't know. I think I think for Bruno it's such a tricky one, isn't it? Because he he joined eighteen months ago and he's had nothing but success. He's had nothing but praise. He's been the main man. And we're only now, really, eighteen months in, starting to see a little dip in form. I think. Look, I don't, wanna, I don't want to put too much pressure on him because clearly he's, you know, I don't want to get my head bitten off. And fans have, have, have jumped to his defence on social media after after that tweet and and the deleted tweet. But I just think. Do you give him a couple more games? Name? No. I, so you're, you so reverse the question then. Who starts in the midfield three on Sunday? I think if you're going to go unchanged, right? I think I, if I'm honest, I think I'll go unchanged. But at the same time, uh, I'd like to see Longstaff in because you know how much of a, of a fan I am, and I think he offers so much stability in the middle. But I just like you, I, I wouldn't be able to say wholeheartedly who I drop out because I don't want to drop Snarley, Bruno, or Julian. And I think if you had go a couple more games in the season and Bruno still maybe isn't at the level, maybe take him out. How waited six games to take him in? Maybe he needs a little period out. I just don't think yet. And as you said, I think Almiron's got a lot of criticism over the last couple of days. Some of it well over the top, I think. Um, I saw an interesting tweet, actually. It's funny, I can see your tweet echoing there. I can't even see what the tweet says, but it's a, it's a graphic of Miguel Almiron. I can bet me bottom dollar someone is not, having a go. It's though. not complimentary. No. Um, 
But someone did tweet out uh, earlier today about the fact that St. Maximin's gone. And it, it seems like people are looking for a bit of a new scapegoat. And is it Bruno? Is it Miguel Almiron? You know, both players have had a ton of uh, grief after the game. But actually, if you look at the stats, the, you know, I think Bruno had 89% possession, uh, pass possession success. Miggy wasn't too far down the line uh, beyond that either. You know, it, it goes back to what you're saying. When you cast United lose, sometimes there is an overreaction. But you also feel like there's a, does it go the other way? Like, with it seems very easy to criticise Miguel Amiron and feel very easy, very quick to do that. But if you question Bruno's performances, it seems that those who question Bruno's performances will then get grief for questioning Bruno's performances. Yeah. And I think that's a bit of a dangerous territory to be on. And yeah. look, we shouldn't, and look, I'm not saying anyone's escaped at all. You know, Bruno is fantastic and he's brilliant. But I still think it's, it's all right to say, look, has Bruno been at the level that we're coming to expect him of? No. Yeah, look, it was something we were talking about two weeks ago before the season even started about how, you know, and we were put it down to pre-season rustiness, but Bruno didn't look, you know, himself over the summer, never mind the first two games of the season. On Almiron, I just think, I feel a bit for Miguel Almiron because he has that per- he has that brilliant season last season in front of goal, but I don't think he's ever really going to be able to shake the, the feeling that Newcastle United can probably go and sign a better player than him and I think fans know that and I think when players have a bad day you know some people's will you know Joe Linton, for example got a little bit of stick on Saturday but it was forgetting about when Miggy has a bad game all those calls reignite for him to be replaced and for them to upgrade and I you know I've seen people calling for Barnes to start on the right and Gordon to start on the right I feel like I feel for Miggy because it you know no matter how good he is you always feel like he's one bad game away from being the scapegoat again John says Bruno was the best of the three against City. Gordon says, was it the fact the players underperformed or was it the way how wanted them to play because they looked the polar opposite in style of play compared to Aston Villa? Maybe. Look, I think Newcastle thrive when they've got a lot of the ball and when they're at home and when they're you know, probably favourites to win a match and when the, the playing fields are a bit more level. We've seen them you know, demolish Brighton, Aston Villa, you know, these teams in and around them at the moment. In recent matches, uh, in recent months, sorry. As I said, when you go to City and you've got to maybe play a little bit different, maybe they're not used to it. They're not used to being on the back foot these days, are they? That's very true. And ties into what Andy said here. Look how far we've come in a year. We need to hear all these lads who stand tall with their heads held high. And I guess that'll be the message as well. That I mean, Again, a slightly overreaction to me sound saying this, but you want to go into Sunday's game, you know, united and, 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 and kind of like, you know, together um, is really important let us know if you're watching live who you would play as that midfield three because um it's a really interesting uh, question like i said i'd play long staff it's just who drops out aaron says he'll go and change so if you're watching live let us know in the comments who you would play we're going to move on to the other big news off the field adidas and newcastle united back together from the first of september there's going to be some sort of announcement um going to be intriguing to see what that is. And then obviously next season, we uh, will see Adidas designing the kits once again after, what, a 20-year absence. Excited? Yeah, really excited. Um, feel for someone at Amazon who's probably getting their P45 after leaking the news. But yeah, very, very exciting from Newcastle point of view. It was sort of a, you know, a, a very badly kept secret. The club have denied it at every turn. Darren Neal has been asked about it. We asked Peter Silverstone about it a couple of weeks ago. Um and obviously 
in episode four of the Amazon documentary when it officially comes out in a couple of weeks, fans will be able to see these high level meetings at the at the headquarters. Very, very good for Newcastle and fans who have longed for these kits to come back. Very, very good for Newcastle financially. You know, we're talking about them trying to bridge the gap to these teams like City. This Amazon deal will do wonders. I mean, the finances behind it are going to be game-changing. You've only got to look at, I mean, some of the teams in the big six. Manchester United get £90 million a season for their kit deal. City gets 65 with Puma. Nike pay Liverpool and Chelsea £60 million. Castor are currently paying five. So it is going to, you know, dramatically um, increase their revenue. Very, very positive. Excited for the first September to see, you know, sort of the big unveiling of it. Hmm. And from a Castor point of view... They will go out on a, on a high because the kits they've designed this season are very good to look at, very nice. I mean, the home kits are a really nice kit. So, you know, and they're going to get that Champions League exposure as well. Yeah, look, I think they've had their issues, Castor, you know, probably due to the demand. I don't think they're maybe that in a, much of an established company that they can, you know, cope with it, the loyal demand of Newcastle United fans. I think. In my mind, yes, they have done very, very good kits the last season and this season. In my mind, I still will never forgive them for that big four across. I really don't like that kit. But I agree, this season they, they have set the bar. You see a lot less people complaining now about the delivery times and the quality assurance. Um, but I think ultimately it had to happen. We saw them get rid of Fun 88 early. You know, we knew the kit manufacturer was, was very high on the owner's list as well. And what does it say about when you cast United? Have where they've come from in such a short space of time under the the owners that now Adidas want to be part of this journey, and we know sometimes it's just the fact that you know relationships break down or the contracts end and they want to go in different directions. People offer more money, but you know it's been something that fans have wanted for a heck of a long time ever since it ended, really. Um, and ironically, it was kind of the first one of the first things Sir John Old did, didn't he? he? Kind of went out and got this big kit manufacturer coming to our live event to hear more about that. Um, <laughs> What does it say about when Newcastle United are, are, are at the moment and are going as well, that they can sit down and have these talks, thrash out a deal, get a good price for it, get one of the biggest companies on board? Yeah, look, it's, it's massive for Newcastle. It shows exactly where they're heading. Adidas have clearly seen this opportunity to get in it. You know, not the ground floor, but certainly at a very low level of this new journey. As you said, fans have always had this affinity with Adidas because of their incredible work during the 90s and the early noughties with the kits. It's just, it's it's winners all round, really, apart from, apart from Castor. <laughs> well, you know, I'm yeah. sure they've got a uh, a nice, well, we, we don't know if we're sure, but there's probably a chance for a nice severance pay, maybe. And um, what are the dealers? We'll, we'll be intrigued to find out more about that. Um, Alan says, I would consider Anderson in the midfield for Sunday. He's not put a foot wrong since starting uh, the preseason. He deserves a start. Les says, nothing wrong with the Castor designs, but everything else is poor in her opinion. Uh, Arsenal's Adidas kit last night was horrendous. Yes, it's a lovely lime green kind yeah, of design. Yeah, saw that. Hey, they, they can get it wrong. They can get it wrong. But well, also, I will say, some of, the, some of the retro stuff they've released for Adidas is really nice. And I think it won't be surprised to see some of that old Newcastle stuff making a reappearance. That's where Aaron's pay packet is going. September's <laughs> pay packet going to Adidas. Right, shall we finish? Actually, before we get on to the trivia... When you cast that, you're going to go next in the transfer market. I ask you this every episode. Is it nowhere? Is it done? Is it concentrate on getting people out of the door? Yeah, I mean, they massively, they've got a couple of players that they need to shift. Um, like Ryan Fraser, like Isaac Hayden, who was 
uh, I believe, attracting interest from Middlesbrough, which would be a decent move from, uh, and also Jeff Hendrick. Um, I wouldn't be surprised to see a couple of the lone players go. I think JT and Akut will probably head north of the border. Uh, ben Parkinson might be going as well. In terms of incomings, I'm gonna I'm gonna stick my neck out, right? Eddie Howe came out Friday and said this is the last of the business. I think they do one more. I, I agree. Yeah, good. I, I agree just solely on the papers that Eddie Howe has said that's the end. <laughs> yeah. It's like, well, I would joke. Like, look, it's nice and sunny outside, but if Eddie Howe told me it was sunny, I'd have to yeah. check. Yeah, exactly. No, I, th- I think I think the score for one more. There's there's maybe a little bit of money left over now that this lo- uh, this whole deal is a loan deal. And I think last summer we saw the perfect example of Newcastle spending when they have to, but also finding a little bit more money when they need to. Wilson got injured. They go back to the table for Isaac. I think I think there's score for one more. It's interesting, but it won't be reactionary, will it? Like no. it'll be a planned a planned buy. And we've just spent 10, 15 minutes discussing the the next priority. Mm-hmm. So, you know, what you know, what 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 do you think is their next? What is their plan? Look, I think I think ultimately, if the board got ready, how would say, look, there's a there's a little bit of room for one more. I think he, I think he probably wants cover more than anything. I don't think you can really point at anywhere in this team and say they need a dramatic upgrade at the starting eleven. You know, nobody's really complaining with the start eleven. Yes, they they're complaining after the city game and they're wanting to make loads of changes for Liverpool. But I think ultimately, but, I, but just but just on that, right? So you do you disagree? Not not entirely. But you said on the season preview that your out there outlandish bold statement was Sean Longstaff will start more games than people reckon he will do. Right? So you you still standing by yeah, that? Yeah, I stick by that. Yeah. So my question. To you then is, and you're a big fan of Sean Longstaff, and look, I think he's a great player, but there is better than Sean Longstaff. But Sean Longstaff's not starting at the moment. No, no, but that, but that's my point. You, you reckon he's going to? Yeah, so yeah I think. I if think you, if, you, will, if yeah. you think he is, but you agree, there's another level to go above above Sean with all due respect. Is then does that not then kind of say, well, is that the is that the pro? Like, do we need to upgrade there? You're saying, or are you, are you seeing in this moment? He's not going to go out and buy someone who's better than Sean Longstaff because he just wants to cover. But then, I'm, in in my head, I, I I at the moment don't see Sean Longstaff as a starter for Newcastle. I think I I did say on the season preview. I think he will end up playing a lot more than people think. But I think if you're just taking form and injuries and who they're playing out of it, ultimately it's Bruno Tonali and Jolinton. And I don't think you need an upgrade on that. I don't think you really need an upgrade on Sean Longstaff. What my, my point is generally is I don't think they need... I don't think you look at anywhere in that team at the moment and think they've got to go and get somebody in this position before September 1st that's going to start. So I think if there's a score for one more, I think it's I think it's additional bodies through the door. It's hard to scream. You think you, think you can... I, I just haven't watched... I, don't, I just think the defensive the defensive midfield area is just... It's, it's, it rattled us before the season begun, and I'm still a little bit worried. And I know people will say, "Ah, you were you were on the roof shouting about the, about the midfield after Aston Villa, right?" Okay, I'll hold my hands up to that. But I was worried before the Villa game. Okay, so, and so, I was who, little... so who drops out? It's, Answer it's, me that. It's the well, question, no, isn't well, it? It's the question that I want to do because you're you're sat here saying the the one position that they can strengthen before September 1st is central midfield and you can't tell me who needs to drop out of that central midfield. Pay me midfield. anyhow his weekly wage and then I'll oh, make the decision. That's just such a it? cough out, isn't it? Coming really? from Mr. Sitting on the Fence, <laughs> I don't know how you can sit there and say that 
No, at the end of the day, the tough decisions would have to be made to who drops out. You would hope the players would be happy with a bit of rotation and what have you. Look, they've got brilliant midfielders in that midfield three, i.e. Joe Linson, um, Bruno and, and, and Tonali. But if I'm asking you solely as a defensive midfielder, do any of them, would you hold them up against any of the world's best defensive midfielders? No, but I, no, because I don't think I don't think Bruno's really at heart a defensive midfielder. But I think he plays well there, and in the system Eddie Howe has, it's worked time time again. I don't think they're really crying out for a six as much as they were at the start of the summer. But it's just good to have this debate. John says we've upgraded on Sean. He's called Sandro Tonali. Uh, the villain says, you don't drop your best players after one mediocre game. Everything Longstaff does, Bruno does better. You stick with your best players. Liam says, Anderson and Longstaff can add stability to the midfield. And he says, we were lost without Longstaff. We were lost without Longstaff last year. And Derek wants a right centre-back cover and a right winger. And he adds, the amount of games we have this year too, we can't play our first start in 11 every single game. It is a debate that will rage on. With what a week or so of the trans window left, I'm sure we'll discuss it again in the coming days and within that week, and of course at a live event as well. It's been an absolute pleasure to join you today on the Monday show on a Tuesday on the Everything Is Black and White podcast. Head over to chroniclelive.co.uk for all the latest Newcastle United news. Remember to take part in our competition to win a pair of tickets to our live event. Just share this episode, either on YouTube or the podcast, on your social media channels and tag in the Chronicle NUFC either on Instagram Facebook or Twitter and we'll find you a pick winner at random by Thursday and for myself and Aaron it's been an absolute pleasure as I said enjoy the rest of your day and we'll see you guys very soon on the Monday show we usually do a bit of trivia at the end of the show because we talk so much and had a really better show I forgot to do it in the live episode so here it is pre-recorded but it's trivia nonetheless so Aaron the last time Newcastle beat Manchester City away was the 30th of September 2000. Can you name Newcastle United start in 11? Oh, give me the date again. September 2000. September the 30th. Okay. 2000. Shea given in goal. One. 2001. Dabby's ass. No. Handily, the names I've got written down are not in order of the formation. So oh, okay. This is really, really thanks for where I got this from. Um, I'm gonna try and I'm gonna try and go. Back to front. Uh, right, we'll go right back. Aaron Hughes. Hughes is playing, but he Aaron's wasn't back. Uh, right back. Uh, so Hughes was playing. Centre back in he go. Uh, Andy O'Brien. No. Um, Hughes would have been centre back with. One nil win. Okay, we'll, we'll move to left back. Um, Bernard. Nope. You're struggling with this oh, one, aren't struggling. you? Right, we'll move into midfield. Gary Speed. Gary Speed. Um, Kieran Dyer. Kieran Dyer. Lauren Robert. No. Viana. No. Viana. Solano. <laughs> Viana. Yeah. Well, I'm talking about left midfielders. It's not You're Robert. talking about the year 2000. Robert didn't sign until 2001. Viana was 2004 off the top of my head. Um... These youngins that don't know they're born, ladies and gents. Um, right, do you need some clues? Yeah, no, right. hang on, hang on, because I'm, I'm so. It wasn't Solano, it wasn't Robert. No. Um, 
Okay, I'll go to attack. I'll go Shira. Yeah. And Amiobi. No. Super Robson's first signing. Don't know. Played with Shira at Blackburn. Um. Up front. Yeah. Well, he could play up front. He could play on the left. He's probably on, no, he was playing on the left in this instance. No, I don't know. Gallagher. Um, right. Number seven for Newcastle United during that era was also 37 at one point, thanks to Rudolph. Rob Lee. Uh, we've got a French defender. Um, his his first Kobe. name, yeah. I was going to say his first name started right. Um, you've got a man who loves scoring in the Champions League. Weird, well loved, scored one. Uh, Griffin. There we go. And then you have an Argentine, Argentinian who loved a good headband. Arrived on loan, played a season, if that. Daniel Cardone, he was up front with Shearer. No. And then a left back, you had a Frenchman who was not very good. Had little hair, much, much less hair than Daniel Cardoni did. Chave. Nah, and there we go, ladies and gents. Tricky, that one. Yeah, not good for Aaron, but there's the trivia on the Everything is Black and White podcast. Thank you very much. Head over to our website, and we'll see you guys very soon.